I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com podcasts. Thanks for your support. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. I'm John Hall. This week, we're talking about mixed fermentation, natural wine, and even hard seltzer with Mitch Ermatinger of Speciation Artisan Ales. But first, I want to tell you that this episode is sponsored by New Holland Brewing. Dragon's Milk began as a single-barrel experiment almost 20 years ago at New Holland Brewing Company and has since grown to become the best-selling American-made stout. Aged for at least 90 days in bourbon barrels, Rich notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla make for a deliciously smooth and drinkable brew. Whether it's sitting by a bonfire or virtually toasting over Zoom, share a legend with Dragon's Milk today. Learn more at dragonsmilk.com. And of course, we're sponsored by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. Help support journalism covering the beer industry by subscribing to the twice-weekly newsletter. Learn more at our revamped website, beeredge.com. So welcome to the show. And the weather is starting to change for the better here in the Northeast. And as I look out of the window of the home office, I can see the leaves on the trees grow faster by the day, spilling out a vibrant green. The neighbors have a bright pink flowering bush across the street, and the birds have returned to the feeder. And while it's been raining a lot, my thoughts have drifted to the first good day when I can sit outside, open up a bottle, and just relax. And when I've been thinking about that, I've been thinking about mixed fermentation. Beers from nature are great when they can be enjoyed in nature, even if it's just a backyard. And when it comes to finding out what's happening in the world of spontaneous or natural beer, Mitch Ermatinger is who I like to call. So he got started in beer, working at a homebrew supply store in his hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan, before headed west to Denver, where he worked for Black Project, way back when it was known as Former Future. Inspired by the process, he moved back home and in 2017 opened up Speciation Artisan Ales, where he first started on mixed fermentation beers and then moved into natural wines and his own twist on hard seltzers. And I've known Mitch for a few years now, and I've been seeing him at festivals around the country, and we would always get to talking about what was going on. And knowing that it might be a while before we were both in the same place again, I settled for calling him up this time. And it turns out that even though we weren't at the same festival, we were in a similar situation. We both have young kids, so the best time to talk was during their nap time, which conveniently synced up. We cover a lot in a short period of time, but I started by asking him on his take of where mixed fermentation brewing in America stands right now. Here's our conversation. Well, I think I've seen a lot of development. Um, it hasn't necessarily like caught on to the mainstream, but I think the craft beer drinker in general uh, is aware of it. Um, whereas that was definitely not true like five years ago. Um, so I think that's a big thing. And then also we see a lot of um, mixed fermentation ideas being applied to things other than just sour beer, which is a lot of uh, fun. Like it's like really what, for example? Well, I mean, wine, uh, we started our wine side project called Native Species, and yep. that's just spontaneously fermented wine, basically. 
um, which is the way a lot of wine is made, but it's kind of made from the perspective of sour brewers, I guess, or mixed fermentation brewers. Um, and just general interest in fermented foods, I think, has increased quite a bit over the last couple of years. So I think they're they're all kind of tied together in the, in the world of mixed fermentation. You've been on the forefront. When, when did the brewery open? Uh, the brewery opened in January of 2017. Okay. So you've been doing this for, for a while and you were certainly doing it beforehand. Yep. Um, how have you seen the customer interaction change? You know, are, are, does, has your sales pitch had to change if you ever had a sales pitch to begin with? Have, have you been able to get a little bit more into the weeds with customers or do you think... They're yeah, still... I would say definitely. I, um, I think that's just part of the general interest in mixed fermentation increasing over the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people who just don't care at all. They're just going for flavor um, and they don't really care about the process or anything like that. And that's totally fine. I don't have a problem with that at all. But in general, it does seem like our our customers are a lot more knowledgeable about what we're doing. Um, and it's not necessarily because we've been educating them. Uh, we have been, but it's not like uh, formal education or anything like that. It's just people have been interested in it. And I think because of that, they're they're picking up on a, a lot from just Brewer's Instagram pages and that kind of stuff. When you talk about being into the flavors of mixed fermentation, I, I think it's such a difficult even it's a difficult concept for for a lot of drinkers to wrap their heads around. And, and, and I certainly struggle with it because while there are certain touchstones, a lot of these are very personal. A lot of these are based on place. A lot of these are based on house cultures. Yeah. Um, for your brewery, what do you see as defining characteristics or what do you try to, 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 or do you try? We to don't defi- really. <laughs> you don't. Okay. Yeah. We don't really. Um, I mean, we kind of do separate things out a little bit. Like we have our uh, spontaneous stuff that we separate out as another brand, which is the Laurentian series. And yeah. I want to have, talk about that in a minute. Yeah. And then we have kind of our main, our main beers that we also make. Um, but I don't know. We don't really, we kind of just let each thing be whatever it is. Um, and, and then try to describe what it ends up tasting like. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but we don't really, uh, like you said, like there's a huge range of flavor profiles and, um, it's, it's kind of its own category outside of, uh, beer and wine and all that stuff. Like mixed fermented things are kind of in their own boat. Um, so yeah, we don't, we kind of just try to make, make things and, you know, a lot of it's aged in barrels and it's going to change quite a bit from the time we put it in the barrel until the time we package it and then the time that we sell it. So we kind of just try to, uh, package things that we really like and then present it in a way to the customers that, um, make sense based on blind tasting generally. So, so, all right. So two things then when you're saying that it's things that you really like, what, what, what are those things that you like? I'm just trying to back into that question in a different way of, mm-hmm. you know, what do you look for and what in your mind is something that is you know, really good and ready for prime time, ready for release versus mm-hmm. something that may not be ready. If generally it has your, if it has your name for, on it. Yeah. Generally we're trying to, we're trying to just look for something interesting. Um, and usually that's got uh, some amount of complexity. Um, not everything that we're using specific, but vague words though. Yeah. (laughs) 
that's intentional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's like, I mean, if you want like really specific things that we're looking for, uh, some of the things I like most about our mixed fermented products is that they've got like this tangy, uh, lemony acidity to it. They're really crisp and dry. Um, those are, for me personally, I really prefer dry things in general. Um, so that's, that's super important to me. It's not a flavor necessarily, but, uh, it is part of the package of mixed fermented beer and ours in particular. But that's a, is that one of the things that draws you to making mixed fermented beers? Because I, I, when I'm thinking of when you were just saying that of, of what you're drawn to, if you liked making, you know, IPAs that didn't have hops. I, I know that's not a thing, but like, yeah. you know, or, you know, if, if you only liked making, you know, uh, brown ales, but you, you know, changed up the malt bill or like whatever it was, um, the market may not respond to something like that because it's not an accepted style or it's yeah. not too style. Um, yeah. I'm just, so when it comes to your mixed fermented beers, you're not necessarily trying to do it to a style, but there are things that are appealing to you. Definitely. Where but, like a I customer mean, might go to, to another mixed fermentation brewery down the road and it tastes something different and maybe they prefer that or, or not. Definitely. But that's, yeah. It's a lot about personal preferences, but, and for me, I mean, the reason why I make the stuff hasn't really been about um, me necessarily want to drink it, drink it in volume or anything like that. The, the main reason why we started a, uh, uh, mixed fermented or fate based brewery is because uh, we liked the process of actually making it. Um, not, I mean, obviously we, we love the end results too, but uh, the whole process of just letting, letting uh, cultures go wild um, and the embracing of uh, just tons of variables. Um, that's, that's what we like about making it. Um, Drinking it is a whole nother, uh, whole nother uh, question, I think, but especially for me. But uh, yeah, the volumes aren't the same though in a mixed fermentation brewery, right? I mean, you're you're much lower. Yeah, you're going against you know not only your barrel inventory, your wood inventory, but also time. Yeah, yep, and that's the big that's the big reason why most of the mixed fermented breweries are just smaller in general. Um, it's funny. A lot, I, I, a lot of people are shocked when they hear that we only release like 500 barrels. Uh, I know year. I was the first time that I talked yeah. to you about that because yeah, because you're well cause... known and you have this great reputation, and it's like, oh well, they must be everywhere. Yeah, must be massive. <laughs> uh, no, I think we just well, a lot of it is intentional, uh, and a lot of it is space constraints, um, and a lot of it is just trying not to grow beyond what the market uh, will take. We, we like being small and we like being special and we like the flexibility that being small uh, gives us. Like uh, just because we're so small, we can do things like mess around with uh, seltzers and mess around with natural wine and cider and that kind of stuff. Um, We just have the freedom to play around with that kind of stuff. We're not restrained, constrained to a brand or anything like that. Just before we move on to the next thing, I, I, I'm curious about, you mentioned doing the blind tastings and that's how you figure out what you want to put out. Are, are you are you doing all of your own beers in a blind tasting or are you bringing in ringers from outside breweries? 
Uh, generally, it's um, we'll taste through most of what we've got, and uh, I'll I'll pour everything and then present it to the staff. And uh, generally, there's one or two outside beers, and the rest of them are ours. Uh, and because it's our production staff that's doing the tasting, they know what beers they've packaged, and so they they have an idea of what possibilities could you know what each beer could be. Um, but keeping one or two outside beers in there. Um, keeps things fresh i think for for blind tasting and it also i guess gives you something either to strive for or to avoid yeah and just perspective on what other people are doing too because we don't we aren't all just especially now we're not all just going out drinking tons of other breweries beer right now um so it, it helps to be kind of forced forced to drink it right next to one of our beer so you're talking about space constraints before and you're in the process of moving to a new location. Mm -hmm. uh, you put out a press release, I think at the end of last year, and I'm going to quote you back because uh, I think it's just too good to sort of pass up. Uh, quote, the craft beer movement is shifting significantly away from distribution and towards tasting room and direct sales. We'd like to stay ahead of the changes in the industry and position ourselves for long-term stability with a wide range of house-made small batch beverages, including beer, natural wine, wine spritzers, seltzers, and cider. Um, certainly direct sales are up these days. Tasting room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great Sorry, timing. man. Yeah, great I know. timing to say that. <laughs> uh, I, I was talking to somebody about that recently. I was like, man, I think uh, everybody has been moving in the direction of direct sales. And it was a great idea until a pandemic hit. Uh, but uh, I think, I still think, I still think it's going to be super important in, in the long term to uh, have direct sales, probably more than ever after we get out of this. Yeah. And, and do you think you'll be able to keep it up in the same way? Um, I think so, but it's so hard to tell. It's so hard to tell. Um, I think we've always been a brewery that's, well, a company now that's based on monthly releases. Um, and so in general, most of our uh, revenue has come from our one weekend a month that we do a release. Um, so we still have that income uh, throughout this. Um, and actually the sales for last month, which would be April, okay. uh, were were much better the, the April relief sales than the previous three sales before it. Um, Interesting. So, but I think it's just because people weren't coming into our tap room, and um, so they they still wanted our our beer, and so they just said, "Well, we'll just get it at the monthly release." So I think because of that, because we're we've been a monthly release based uh, brewery, I think we're kind of skirting a lot of those problems right now. Um, but not every direct. Uh, our brewery that focuses on direct sales is going to be able to do that. You're in this unique position though, where you're still in your current location, but you're moving a, a short distance away uh, yeah. to, to a new location. And you obviously had plans for back in December when uh, uh, old Mitch said, uh, said that quote <laughs> about how uh, we're shifting significantly. You weren't wrong on the shifting significantly part. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. yep. uh but you obviously had an idea for your tap room back in December when you put this release out. Has yeah. that changed in the last five, six months of what uh, the tap room could be going forward? No, it really hasn't. Really? Um, yeah. Cause mostly we were getting that location for a 
two two main reasons. Uh, one, just to be more centrally located, which I think will benefit us, even if there are long term uh, shutdowns and a second wave and that that kind of stuff. I think it'll still benefit us to be more centrally located, um, just because it's going to be more easily accessible to the average person in Grand Rapids. Um, but then also, we just don't really like our current landlord, and so we want to get out of our current space so this will allow us to do that and our lives will be happier because of it you you've been pretty vocal about not liking your current landlord um, mm-hmm. social media and conversations and now on a you know globally broadcast podcast mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I, I, I think that's interesting because it's one of these things where a lot of the time Brewers, you know, if, if you're signing a lease, you know, like you just want to be left alone or, mm-hmm. you know, like you want somebody who's, who's pretty cool. And, you know, if you move into a place and you're putting in barrels and you're putting in stainless and you're uh, putting in drains and everything else for, for a brewery, you're hopefully going to be there for a while. Or mm-hmm. at least I think that's usually the intent that most people have in these situations. Definitely. If you could go back, much like talking to December, Mitch, if you could go back to, you know, 2016, Mitch, when you were. Uh, you know, planning out the brewery uh, to open in seventeen. What would you have done differently? What what would was there anything that you would have noticed where you wouldn't have had to maybe move so soon? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I I talk a lot about how I think my biggest um, regret as a business owner is not uh, finding a landlord who is willing to partner with me. Um, there's just been. Basically, we, we signed the lease on the space because we thought it was um, a good enough location. It's kind of tucked away in Northern GR, uh, which is nice because that also comes with the low monthly That's Grand Rapids, price yeah. bill. Yep. Mm-hmm. So our, our monthly, you know, lease rate is pretty low on that space, and so there there that was the main draw to it. Uh, and the and the space was just open, and we it was something that we could easily um, change to be a mixed fermented brewery. Um, so I guess my biggest regret would be not, not partnering with the landlord. Like if we would have put a little bit more effort into finding somebody that wanted us there, mm-hmm. it would have made our lives so much easier. We wouldn't be moving again, probably like we are now. Um, and just, just constant headaches when you're dealing with a landlord let, that doesn't want you there. Um, and we haven't, as far as I know, we haven't done anything that would give him the impression that we're bad people or <laughs> running a bad business or anything like that. Uh, I think he just doesn't like us. Um, but like st- certain things, like we had to pave our parking lot. Um, the township basically said we can have a tap room there, but we have to pave our parking lot. Um, and our landlord was planning on doing it anyways, but he said, I wasn't planning on doing it for about five years. So if you want to open your tap room, you have to pay to pave the parking lot. Oof. So we weren't really planning on spending 30 grand uh, on anything yeah. other than building out the tap room. So we built out the tap room, but we also had to pay a lot of money to pave the parking lot. Uh, and Can you take it with you when you move us, to the new? Yeah, uh, I know. yeah. Our, our employees want to want to rent a jackhammer, but I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to sink that low. I, I want to. I feel like we're respectful people, and I don't want to. Uh, I don't know. He's been terrible to us, and I feel like we should be the bigger people and not be terrible back to him. So when you go into a new place now, 
or you know when you are able to make the move and i know originally you were talking spring which we're just about in now or i guess mm-hmm. we are technically in spring right yeah. now although everybody's indoors um, yep <laughs> has, has the timeline shifted uh not really we we had we had things pretty open we never really committed to anything um publicly about like when we would open or anything like that right um, just because we've been through it once and we know what kind of things can set can set projects like this back so we never really set a timeline other than hopefully 2020 was our was our timeline okay um and i think that's obviously still on track um so yeah i think uh we should be in this this summer should be open barring any crazy things happening like a pandemic yeah yeah no no we should be okay to do construction and stuff soon and when you now hopefully in this in this new space don't have the wary or the headspace being taken up by troublesome landlords mm-hmm. where are you looking forward to putting your mind and putting your efforts like once all of that you know that those gray clouds kind of go away yeah we're really looking forward to having a tap room that's like in a part of town where people live um, this is a part of town where people are just out doing things anyways um, so we, we haven't really had like a large base of regular taproom customers outside mm-hmm. of our, um, monthly releases, our monthly releases, we have a very solid group of people that comes in every single month, but for our taproom, just because we're kind of in the middle of nowhere in a warehouse district, we haven't had like regular customers. Okay. So we're really looking forward to just like building up a community, which we have, uh, already. It's just not like a stereotypical brewery where you have like your 10 regulars at the bar and that kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to building, building up that community. And then also just looking forward to knowing that we are in a relationship with the landlord that we uh, respect and they respect us. And um, we're not going to have the stress of that. Uh, And it's going to free us up to, you know, think of things a little more long-term because we've known for a while now that we were going to move out. So, now we can focus on building up core brands that are on all the time, like a lot of breweries. Um, right. Our brewery, our brewery has always rotated all of our releases every single month, our new beers. So that hopefully sound, with that sounds exhausting. Happen, it is so exhausting. <laughs> it's so exhausting. And we're, uh, we're all pretty much over releasing six to nine new brands every single month. Yeah. Um, Cause it's just a insane amount of work for production. It's an insane amount of work for, for me in the office. And uh, yeah, we just want to move away from that. So we're, we're going to rotate more towards a slightly more traditional menu where we have a, a couple of set beers and then a couple of set wines and then, go crazy with a couple releases a month instead of, instead of six to nine. One of the things that you have now transitioned into and are, are, are looking to grow is natural wine. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm curious because whenever I, most of the time when I talk to brewers uh, who are getting ready to branch into something new, um, these days it's seltzer and we'll talk about your seltzer in, in, <laughs> in, a, in a minute, but, um, often it's whiskey or going into spirits production, you know, we're, yeah. we bought a still, we're going to put a, put a still in that you're doing natural wine. I find to be really interesting because I don't know of too many other breweries that are walking that route. I know Patrick Rue, 
uh, of the brewery. Uh, yeah. Has a vineyard now, and he's doing some weird stuff. He was on the show and a couple weeks ago. Jester about... King's yeah. been doing stuff, and Hopewell in Chicago. Yeah, there's a there's a handful of us that have been uh, going in that direction. For me, um, I yeah. love I love spirits personally. Uh, scotch is probably my favorite thing in the world. Um, but uh, I'm just not. I've never really been super interested in distilling for whatever reason. I've never had the natural interest in, in doing it. Um, whereas wine, I've always really liked wine, and especially in the last like four years or so, I've been really getting into drinking wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, uh, when I when I really started diving into natural wine and just learning about how crazy it is and it's kind of the wild west right now um it just fit with our brand and just fit with my palate um and also michigan is a really big grape growing region so yeah a lot of things just fell into place it made sense uh, we were already buying grapes for a bunch of our beers and so we had contacts uh, in the vineyard already so yeah a lot of things just fell into place and then we just kind of decided we're gonna we're gonna follow this path of natural wine and for native species the winery then you call it a uh, minimal intervention uh, yes. natural winery mm-hmm. and- so basically we uh we kind of take the approach that um we just buy michigan grown grapes crush them by foot let them spontaneously ferment and then age it if we need to and then uh, package it up so really the only thing in it is grapes with the occasional sugar dosage for uh, sparkling things. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've even been moving away from that and towards pet nats where you um, bottle bottle the wine before it's fully fermented uh, and it carbonates with the residual sugar left from the grapes. How has it been received so far? Or, I, uh, yeah. It's been received... Uh, very well, I would say. Uh, it was a very slow start, though. Um, when we first started releasing them, I think in August of 2019, mm-hmm. um, our beer customers were moderately interested, um, but they weren't like really excited about it. And then we'd have the occasional uh, wine uh, wine nerd that would come in and seek it out, um, but. As, as our wines have been available in our tap room and people have been able to try them more and more alongside our beer, um, we've definitely gained a lot of fans through through the tap room. Because um, I think a lot of people were coming in to try our beer and then they'd see that we have wine and our bartenders would be like, yeah, our wine is just spontaneously fermented grapes. Uh, and that obviously piqued the interest of a lot of our people in the tap room. And so as just as uh, time went on, more and more people got on, got into it. And um, we really put some effort into explaining what their process is and what the flavor profiles are of our wine, too. And I think that that probably made a difference as well. When you are so the flavor profile, then I, similar question to what I was asking about the beers that you're making. Yeah. What are you looking for? in your natural wines, because again, wine is usually so rigid in its, in its styles and, you know, this should taste like this and et cetera, et cetera. Um, You're calling this the wild West right now. So, so is there a DNA to the type of, of wines that you want to make and that you want to be known for? Yeah, definitely. Uh, That DNA would be 
basically the same as the brewery. Like we don't really, we don't really care about the, the rules and, and the, and the specific, uh, dogma, uh, of the monolithic wine world. Uh, honestly, I'm friends with a lot of people in the wine world and we get along just fine and they all drink beer and they all love beer. Um, but you know, a lot of the people in the wine world just think that things have to be a certain way because that's the way they've been for hundreds of years. And I, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm glad that those people make amazing wine. Um, but when it comes to what we're doing, um, we don't come from that background. We come from the background of sour brewers and um, we are just applying that skill set and interest into wine. So for our wines, we, we kind of follow the same principles as our beer. Like we, we make it and then we see what it tastes like and then go from there. Um, we are comfortable with dumping things that we don't like. And I think that that has to be part of the conversation when you're making products the way we are. Yeah. Um, but for our wine, uh, there's a huge, huge range of flavor profiles. Some of them you would never know it's spontaneously fermented at all. It's totally clean, dry wine. Um, especially some of our, uh, spirit barrel H reds. Um, and then some of it is like, it's basically like a lambic flavor profile, um, like a young lambic or something like that. So, um, yeah, huge, huge range of flavor, all of it blasphemous to the wine world. Uh, well, I mean, you, but, you piqued my interest with spirit barrel aged red. Yeah. So we did, uh, uh, four spirit barrel aged red wines in 2018. Um, so we did a bourbon barrel-aged Frontenac, a Scotch barrel-aged Frontenac, uh, tequila barrel-aged um, red blend, and then a maple syrup bourbon barrel-aged red. Um, and those obviously were more popular with the average sour beer drinker um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of crossover between barrel-aged, you know, spirit barrel-aged things. So yeah. yeah. And had you been doing that with beer as well? Yeah. Yep. We've, uh, always been using spirit barrels since pretty much day one. Our first barrels that came into the brewery were, um, bourbon barrels. It's one thing for, for stouts and, you know, I know we've seen, you know, some other things as well, but like for spontaneous, I mean, how, how much more deliberate do you have to be or not, I guess, with, what's going to go into some of these barrels? Because I, I, I know, you know, for, you know, for a brewery that's doing a bourbon barrel aged stout, for example, like once they put mm-hmm. a stout in, they can empty it, they can put it back in again. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a little bit different for mixed fermentation beers. Like once you use a barrel, even just yeah, once. We've had, we've kind of had a rotating or changing, evolving philosophy about it. Um, so? In the early days we, we would use a spirit barrel and then we'd, immediately fill it back up and then we just do that over and over again and i would say well we're never going to get rid of it until it makes bad beer um but then we <laughs> but, but then we ran out of space and then i was like well we're gonna have to rethink that <laughs> so because we wanted to continue buying more spirit barrels and we're like well we can't because we don't have room um so then my philosophy changed and we pretty much moved to single use or sometimes double use uh uh, as far as using our spirit barrels, but we, we are kind of intentional about it, I guess. And then so, sometimes like, I know this, this winter, I want to release a bunch of 
dark sours aged in bourbon barrels. Okay. And so sometimes we have to be intentional about it. Like I need to brew this dark sour and put it in these whiskey barrels and let it sit for like nine months. Other times, and a lot of the time, we just buy whatever barrels sound really interesting um, and then fill it with our base golden sour and then see what see what happens in you know six months or nine months or we've we're pat we're blending some tomorrow that are over two years old um and huh. uh rye barrels and just because they just sat there and we'd taste them occasionally like every six months or so and just be like hey, it's not quite ready yet we'll just keep waiting and so finally after a little over two years we're, we're packaging these so yeah there's a huge variation again when you're doing the single-use barrels now, though, are you just decommissioning them afterwards, or are they finding pretty new much. life? Okay. Yep, pretty much decommissioning them. Um, we just put them outside our brewery, and uh, if people want to buy them, they're for sale. Or sometimes um, brewers want them, um, like other professional brewers want them for decorations and stuff. Sure. So we do little trades. But, yeah, we pretty much just decommission them now, with the exception of wine barrels really well-made wine barrels Mm -hmm. we keep we will keep and just use it over and over again until it starts to make something that exactly you don't like anymore exactly so you're making seltzers what you're making seltzers yeah (laughs) yeah we that wasn't a heavy sigh that wasn't a heavy (laughs) sigh that was a uh that was just a a a, an exhale a poorly timed exhale um i'm excited about the seltzer space we, uh, we I'm excited too. when brewers like you are in the seltzer space. Yeah, we. I mean, it's, fu- it's so funny. We were having a production meeting a couple weeks ago, and we were looking at everything that we were making. And I, I think either I or my production guy Adam said something, and then we both looked at each other and we we're like, "Oh my god!" Like if this was three years ago, we would have lost our minds. Uh, like. <laughs> Because there's just no, like, it I th- felt like. I think that's true. I think that's true for so many brewers yeah. these days. Yeah. Well, you just have to change and evolve and stay relevant. And we want to make interesting things, too. So, um, yeah, the seltzer thing never, honestly, it would never would have happened uh, for us unless I was, or until I was diagnosed with celiac disease. And then that was kind of the thing that put us over the edge. Um, cause I can't drink my own beer anymore. And so we were kind of like, well, let's start trying to experiment in other, other realms that I can actually drink and enjoy. And, and, gluten, free, and a gluten-free option, a gluten-free beer wasn't mm-hmm. an option. Not really. We're dabbling in it. We haven't, uh, we haven't made anything that we really love yet. Um, but we are dabbling in it, but I still, I've had very few gluten-free beers that I really, really love. Yeah. So for me, I've had lots of seltzers that I really enjoy, and I honestly drink them like most people um, on a pretty regular basis. And so for us, uh, it just made sense. It's also something that we can completely make in-house, um, which our beer, we can't. We we brew the wort somewhere else and transport it back to our place for fermentation. But right. seltzer, seltzer, we can make ourselves. So how are you approaching then brewing a seltzer, making a seltzer? constructing our, a seltzer yeah our approach so far uh like our wine is uh, and our beer is uh uh just make th- interesting things uh it doesn't have to be the most mind-blowing seltzer ever but we still want to make really interesting flavor combinations um and for us we do have some rules that we follow when we make our seltzers um so the sugar is all michigan beet sugar 
Uh, and then we have no nutrient. We don't add anything to it other than fruit and spices. So we don't add any nutrients. Um, we ferment the seltzer on whole fruit, and that is enough nutrients to to get it to get the fermentation to dry out completely. That's so cool. Um, and then generally, what we're doing is fermenting the seltzer on whole fruit, and then after that, we will add another flavor or some dry hops, um, something like that. Um, yeah, they, they're turning out really good. They're dry. Uh, they're they're crisp, dry super drinkable, but still like have the character of a lot of our fruited sour beers, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot of fun for me because I can drink the seltzers. <laughs> so are you packaging these as well? Yeah, we've released, um, how many have we released so far? I think we've released four so far uh, and we're releasing them in 16 ounce cans, okay. um, four packs. Uh, but some of the combinations we've done so far, first one was rhubarb and hibiscus. Second one was raspberry and orange zest. Uh, then we just did a gooseberries and dry hopped with lotus. Um, Interesting. And then, what, what uh, sort of flavor does lotus add? What, what, lotus what can is, you compare that to? It's funny because in beer, it's supposed to have like a kind of citrusy and then almost vanilla-esque flavor. But okay. in, our, in our seltzer, I think, it just comes across differently for me. It's almost like a cascade hop flavor. Um, so it's kind of more of like a generic hoppiness. And I think that's just because it's a seltzer and there's not enough protein in there for the, for the hops to really like show their full expression. Yeah. Um, but that being said, they still, it still tastes really good. The, the gooseberry and Lotus dry hopped one is by far the most popular one that we've released. Um, it's called Biosphere. Uh, that is, it's if if you tasted it blind, you would have no idea it's a seltzer. Uh, it tastes somewhere between uh, sour beer, um, like a Sauv Blanc, and cider. Huh. And almost like a pale ale too. It's got it's got kind of like a <laughs> Sierra Nevada pale ale esque flavor to it. That's kind of fun. Well, that that's always had a bit of like a sherry note for me. As yeah. well in there, like a little bit of like an oxidation, yeah. Um, you know, a little bit Venice, um, especially like before they built it out here on the East Coast um, mm-hmm. uh, in Mills River, like the stuff that would travel from Chico. Uh, Get a little old. <laughs> yeah, but but it was one of those things that was always sort of like appealing, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I always liked it that way. And then yep, I remember the first fresh Sierra Pale that I had in, in, in Chico. I was like, well, this isn't the same beer. This is yeah, like what? bright and vibrant and there's, <laughs> yeah. there's orange rind. And yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's crazy. Um, are you finding, because you have such a diverse portfolio, and I, this is one of those things where we've seen the evolution just even in the last two or three years of, of people becoming beverage companies as opposed to just breweries or wineries or, or distilleries. Yeah. Are you finding that it's something that your consumer base wants, expected, um, or is just kind of going along with it? Like, what what's the what's the reaction from the people who walk through your door or who try to seek out your beer? Um, I think from people who are like our club members and people who are who follow our brand closely. I don't think any of it's really too surprising. Um, I do think that for a lot of people that just kind of jump into our tap room or a lot of tourists that come, come to Grand Rapids for beer. And then, and then they're like, Oh, speciation is highly rated. They don't really know anything about us. 
and they come in and they see the crazy lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the time the reaction is shock and surprise. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole range of reactions. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are just going along with it, especially at the seltzers. I think there's probably a lot of eye rolling uh, going around <laughs> uh, when our, when we first released our first round of uh, seltzer, but uh that that very quickly went away and changed into our regulars buying uh, seltzer four packs with their barrel aged sour beers. Uh, we release them. Yeah, it is. It really blows my mind. But uh, it was our so that Biosphere gooseberry and lotus hopped seltzer was our highest selling item last <laughs> month. Uh, just because like people people would get you know a couple expensive sour sour beer bottles and then they'd buy like two four packs of the seltzer and so because of that by volume the seltzer is just like insane uh so that that was really surprising um but but it does kind of make sense too because we're still approaching these things as kind of in a similar way to our beer we're trying to make interesting flavor profiles is our only goal so um i think a lot of people were found it really hard to turn down a seltzer that was made with gooseberries and it was also dry hopped. So that might've been part of the reason why it sold so well. When it comes to, I guess seasonality, right. Is going to be important to Mm -hmm. a lot of these and and fresh flavors are going to be important to a lot of these. Are you finding that now that you make so many different products that, certain things are more popular at different times of year are people drinking with the weather are they drinking with the mood or is it still just like a personal sort of free-for-all um i think it's a little bit of both i i always um try to i'm a very seasonal drinker and so i think that our release schedule has reflected that um so maybe we're kind of forcing people to be seasonal drinkers, but I, I think in Michigan, most, most people here drink very seasonally. Uh, it's kind of how we've always been used to it, like drinking big, heavy Imperial stouts in the winter and then switching to beers like Oberon in the summertime. So I think for us, uh, we've always been super seasonal drinkers, but uh, it's, it's really ingrained in my brain to, to release beers like that. So we're super far ahead in our production schedule at all times. And that allows us to kind of be like, okay, well, this, this beer's ready right now. We're supposed to release it in June, but really it feels better like a May, a May release. So hmm. we, we can move things around based on how we're feeling too. When, so now we're, we're recording this, uh, end of April. Um, what are it's you end of April right now? I, <laughs> I know time, <laughs> time no longer exists. What? Um, have you had to change up uh, too much of what you're you're thinking about putting out because of being stuck indoors or because of the way that people are living their lives these days? Like, have you been yeah. thinking about some of your, yeah. Yeah. We've, we've changed a little bit. Um, the big, the big thing that we've changed probably, and I think we were probably heading in this direction anyways, but uh, this made us move a little faster is going back to the releasing six to nine brands a month. Um, we kind of feel like that was overwhelming some people, like they'd have to choose between one or another. And so one of the, one of the things that this has kind of forced us to do is, 
uh, focus on releasing like four or five brands a month, um, which is still a lot, but um, I think it's more digestible. Uh, so that's the main thing that's changed probably. Hmm. One thing I just wanted to kind of go back um, just before we wrap up of these days, because you have all these different products and, and I guess notably the winery, are you going to, I, I, I know you from a lot of beer festivals and, you know, we, mm-hmm. run, we, you know, before all of the, the shutdowns started to happen, we'd run into each other at different parts of the country uh, yep. a couple of times a year. Were you doing the same thing for the winery? Were you also going to, to wine festivals to, to, to pour? Uh, not really. Uh, we had just started really, um, trying to even get into wine festivals. Um, so we, we have, it's, it's not like beer where you just kind of show up with some six and you're like, Hey man, <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. a beard. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a little more, as you can imagine, it's a little harder <laughs> to get into those kinds of things. Um, but we also just didn't have much product that was ready. Like our, our first wine release was last summer. Uh, and that was from the 2018 vintage. And so we really have just released the one vintage so far, and we're trying to get a grasp on the world based off and and people's perception of our our products based on that one release. And so I think uh, just a limited amount of product kind of kept us back from going to wine festivals Mm -hmm. um, because we only only made nine oak barrels worth of wine uh, in 2018. Interesting. Um, and okay. so that's not that much. No, uh, that's less than what we would release uh, of beer in any given month. So like much less. So uh, we've, we've blown through all that, as you can imagine, uh, in the last uh, six or, well, I guess more than that, like eight months, we've sold almost all of that in our tap room. Um, so we did, tr- we did try to get into some wine festivals and we were successful in getting accepted. Um, but the first major one was in Chicago, the Fur Coast Sloth, um, and that uh, was canceled because that was the weekend that everything started to get really crazy uh, with with the pandemic. So that was canceled, and then pretty much all the other wine festivals that we got into had been canceled following that. So we were going in a, in a direction to start going to wine festivals and meeting wine people, um, and then that all got shut down real quick. Were you trying to get, would you be in a different headspace? Do you think going yeah. to some of those? Yeah. I think so I think I'm, I go into beer fest, festivals pretty confident because I, I know almost, I know most of the brewers generally, and I'm friends with most of the brewers. And um, I don't know, it's just a space that I've been in for a long time. So I'm really comfortable. Yeah. Uh, wine. Uh, people have, if you think people have strong opinions in beer, it's not even <laughs> remotely, it's not even remotely close to wine. Yeah. It is so much more intense and heated. Uh, and that, that kind of scares me because we make, we make very weird stuff admittedly. Um, so you get the wine people who are just like in it for fun stuff and they're all about it and they don't have any problem with what we're doing. And then you get, uh, I know our production guy, Todd was talking to a winemaker at a conference uh, a couple months ago and uh, he told him what we were doing and he basically just turned turned around and walked away and didn't talk to him again <laughs> <laughs> didn't say <laughs> he didn't say a single word uh, he just turned around and walked away and so that's a good like 
it's a good analogy. We've met some awesome winemakers though. Like yeah. a lot of people are super helpful and, um, you know, guiding us in some kind of direction, I think, uh, or at least giving us advice that we can choose to listen to or not. Uh, and then there's lots of others who are just like, why the hell would you even consider doing this stuff that you're doing? I think spirit, it, the spirit barrels are the main thing that make wine people pissed. Uh, they'll taste it. Uh, generally, uh, they'll, they'll taste it and they'll be like, yeah, it's good, but why does it exist? And I'm like, but well, see, but we, see, that's such an interesting thing though, because in beer, I mean, it's, I've just given up at this point. Like, of course, something batshit crazy exists. Like, yeah. it's just, you know, of course. Yeah. You know, like we're living in a world of, you know, fruited kettle sours and pastry stouts and, yeah. you know, imperial lime fruited pilsners. Like it's, yeah. yeah. I used to have, you know, opinions about that. And sure, now I'm me just too. Like, yeah. And now I'm just like, well, if, if you like it and if you want to make it and if people are going to buy it, then go for it. Yeah. I'm of like, the same mind. I, I used to fight against it and then i just got tired yep yeah uh, me too i just got tired then i had a kid and um <laughs> yep. i know uh we're we're both recording this right now on a on a tuesday afternoon when both of our young kids are taking a nap and i i, yeah, I know it's your like time perfect is perfect timing yeah but your time I, I know your time is precious uh, uh while the kids have their have their eyes closed so um just yep. before we go i'm curious on because you are forward thinking because you are trying to um come up with new things or at least follow new paths. Is there something that you're looking forward to exploring in the coming months, years beyond? Oh, that's a, that is a loaded question. Isn't it? Though? Uh, <laughs> it's so hard to even think about what, what things could be like six months from now or a year from now. Uh, for me, we just, really started digging into seltzers and wine um and we've really we've made a handful of ciders but we've really ignored cider for the most part so we we plan on going full steam ahead with all of our beer beer operations i know we've talked a lot non a lot of non-beer stuff during this conversation but uh my production guy adam and the rest of the staff are fully committed to making sour beer the way we've been making it yeah so for me personally i really want to experiment with non non beer stuff because that's what i can drink and that's what i'm excited about right now for for the guys who or the folks that you've put in charge of the beer uh who who are making it you know because of uh celiac with you there's going to be a certain level of trust that comes right of taking something that you started and taking something that you are still so passionate about but passing the reins on what what was that what was that like uh it's a it's a little tricky for me because i you know, I started the brewery and it's definitely the whole brand is based around my interests and my, it kind of revolves around me and my nerdy brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it is a little difficult to hand off that projects like that. Um, but that being said, Adam has been with the company since like, I don't know, the third month in, uh, and then uh, Todd has been with the company basically since the beginning, since before we opened. And Lewis has been with the company for two and a half years or two years now. Um, I'm conf- They've made all the beer. I haven't really personally done much of the work for the beer the last two years. So in that sense, I fully trust them to continue doing that. Um, I think they're doing a really good job and they're excited about doing it. So I can't really ask for more, for more from them. 
but yeah, that, that helps a long ways with uh, the trust thing. Um, and also just, you know, the experience of us all tasting our beer together for the years that I could, could taste it. I trust their palates. Yeah. So I know, I know Lewis doesn't taste diacetyl really well, but he does taste THP really well. And I know, you know, uh, Adam will be honest about certain things and it's just good to have a, a group of people that will, uh, give an honest critique of our products. Well, I'm looking forward to visiting the new spot when it opens and when we can all Definitely. travel again and, uh, having a glass Someday. of, uh, seltzer with you or wine or, uh, you know, you can watch me drink a beer. Uh, I'll watch <laughs> you, you know, or, or we'll just like, we'll just get a good bottle of scotch and just, uh, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, we'll just have a, a, a fun catch up. All uh, of the above. Mitch, thanks for doing the podcast. I appreciate it. And, uh, and of your course. time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My thanks to Mitch for taking the time, and I'm really not kidding about how precious his time is, especially when the kid was napping, that he gave up almost an hour for the show means a lot. So make sure you check out his beer and the brewery at speciationartisanales.com. And if you can get your hands on a bottle of the Laurentian series, the Lake Michigan version, it scored really well during a recent blind tasting I did for Wine Enthusiast magazine. Don't miss out on giving it a try if you can. So phone interviews are going to be the new normal for a while, and while they don't necessarily have the same feel as being face-to-face -face with someone, I'm still going to work to bring you engaging conversations with beer's most interesting people. And I've really appreciated all of the emails and the messages that you've been sharing during your time in isolation. We are all in this together, and I'm happy that this show, along with the Beer Edge podcast, has found a way into your home routines. So please don't forget to leave a review online to help other folks find the podcast, but also keep sending me notes on who you think I should have on the show, and you might hear them in a coming week. Nate Schweber is the man who did the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, Andy Crouch is over at the Beer Edge podcast, and you should listen to that each week. Subscribe to that today and never miss an episode. Before we go, I want to tell you that this show is sponsored by New Holland Brewing. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a perilous journey. New Holland Brewing is proud to continue that tradition with Dragon's Milk and its family of beers. Whether it's the original bourbon barrel aged stout or the mysterious Dragon's Milk White, a white stout aged in bourbon barrels and brewed with chocolate, coffee, and vanilla, the legend of Dragon's Milk continues to grow. We'll raise a glass to that, and you can learn more at dragonsmilk.com. And of course, we're produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. Help support journalism covering the beer industry by subscribing to the twice-weekly newsletter. Learn more at our brand new website, which is beeredge.com. We'll put out new episodes of this show every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back to drink beer and think beer, and I hope you'll tune in. And for now, take care and toast to the good times to come. Thanks.